Turn with me, Mark 8:34, if you would, please. I only have four pages of notes. I said, Lord, you know what's on that paper. Help me get out what you want to get out. Amen. So Mark 8, 34, this is Jesus speaking again. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, pause there for just a second. Not everybody is a disciple. Some people are gathered around the Lord close enough that he can call them, but they're not his disciples. That's a pause for us to consider which group do we fall in ourselves. Are we gathered around the Lord, or can he call us his disciple? So he called different groups of people here. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So whosoever will, right? Jesus says, my, I am reading New King James, so it says whoever instead of whosoever. But uh, I'm reading New King James. King James says, whosoever will come after me. So I want to just dissect this verse a little bit, okay? Step one, whosoever will, right? That word will there means to will, to have in mind, to intend, to purpose to. Whoever purposes to. Well, I was praying about this and meditating and pondering and thought, well, I started to say how many Christians would live and die there with just intend to. But then I really think like if you're just intending to, can you even call yourself a Christian if that's as far as you get? You know, like I can purpose to run a marathon, but if I don't do anything, I'm never going to do that. I can purpose to get up and read my Bible early, but if I fail the alarm clock, I don't do that. I can purpose to do lots of things. I can purpose to lose weight. I can purpose to dye my hair a different color. But if I don't go to the store and buy hair dye or go to the salon and buy hair dye, my hair doesn't change colors. So it's just all up here in the initial part, right? You have a desire to wish. Uh, there are steps that we see here. So whosoever will have a desire to intend to, to think about, have in their mind to do, right? This is just the beginning. If you would desire to, if you would intend to, if you would have in your mind, whosoever will, if you desire that, how many are going to stop right there? Even to pray a prayer of repentance takes some action. It's not just, oh, I think I should get born again. I think I should pray a prayer. I think I should ask for forgiveness of my sins. One doesn't just think about salvation and get saved. You confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. There are steps that take place in order for that to happen. Proverbs 21, 25 says, The desire of the lazy man kills him because his hands refuse to labor. You can want stuff all day long. You can desire it. You can crave it. This man, it kills him because he really wants nice things, better things, whatever it is, better house. He wants the roof to not leak. He wants better for his family. But he's too lazy to do anything about any of it. Well, there is action that takes place on our part. So step two, that's our first one. So step one, we have to have the desire, first of all, right? That's why we preach the gospel. That's why evangelism goes out to tell people, hey, you know, without Jesus, there's no hope for you. You will die and go to hell. The only way to heaven is through him. We have to give them something to desire, you know, I, I jokingly tell my husband he met all my expectations because I had none. You know, 
jokingly I say that, but honestly, like, I grew up in poverty. I wasn't given glimpses of much to desire. You know, the only marriage that I thought was intact and good, I found out later was a mockery in my family. So, you know, there wasn't much to desire. We have to have something to desire. That's why we preach the gospel. That's why we go out into all the world. That's why we tell people about Jesus, so they can have something to desire. We'll get into it. He's not a magic wand. He's not a fairy. He's not a Santa Claus. But there is something to desire in Jesus, because there are promises that come. There's victory that comes when we do things his way. Amen? Amen. So I can snooze, or I can desire to do all sorts of things. I can desire to exercise, but If I keep sitting on the couch, I did nothing. I kept sitting on the couch. So we give someone something to desire, but then step two takes them to let him deny himself. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, we're called to deny ourselves. That means putting others first. That means telling yourself no. If you have more than one child, you understand fully that this is not a natural instinct. This is not a common fleshly desire. Our flesh just doesn't desire to prefer other people. We have to be taught those things. That's why what's one of the first words a child learns is no and mine. They don't want to share, and they don't want to put somebody else first. I don't want to give my sister that toy. I have it. It's mine, right? (laughs) But this verse tells us we are supposed to deny ourselves. That means making ourselves do things we don't want to do. I've probably shared this. I only have my own stories. I feel like Dr. Barclay when I say that, but that makes me feel good. So the very first time that pastor asked me to minister, I don't even, he must have been out of the country. Do you remember, Gigi? He was gone. Was It was a Wednesday night, I think, and I wanted with everything inside of me to crawl under that back book table or to get in my car and drive home. I could not get my microphone on. I could hardly speak without crying. That's just how nervous that I was. But I had to make myself do something I didn't want to do. I by no means think that I'm mastered this or I'm an expert at this, but I wasn't crying in my office before I came out here today, and I feel like that's a victory. (laughs) Amen? I even had to go home and get my notes because I forgot them, and I was like, well, okay, I'll just pray in tongues on the way there and the way back, and... I'll peek at them during worship, but, you know, if that would have happened the first day, I probably would have just stayed at home, right? I wouldn't have come back after I got my notes, like, text someone, I need you to do service. (laughs) You always ask me if I need help. Yes, I do. (laughs) So denying ourselves means for you, maybe getting up early, maybe making yourself exercise, maybe saying no to a dessert, maybe sharing your faith with a coworker, maybe asking someone over to your home for dinner. You know, whatever it is for you, it's denying yourself. You're not denying me, you're denying yourself. And that's what the scripture asks us to do. Every situation we find ourselves in like this, we can look at it as, oh man, here we go again. I have to give, I have to be the bigger person. Or we can look at it and think, praise God, I have an opportunity to do the word. And when we do the word, it reaps victory in our life. When we do the word, we draw closer to the Lord. When we do the word, he can trust us with more. Pastor said one time, victory starts in your private life. Promotion starts in your private life. If you are not being faithful over 
the situations that the Lord presents to you to deny yourself, he's not going to give you anything else to work on. Like we just saw in the, the offertory, if you can't fix what's in front of you right now, why are you worried about later? Same thing, if you can't master what's in front of you right now, God is not going to give you more later. So when we're submitting to scripture when we deny our flesh. And, and like I said, it's your deny. You deny it whatever it's lusting after or whatever it doesn't want to do. Pastor has shared, you know, he used to run a whole lot more than he does now. But there were days when his flesh would be like, I have to go for a run. And he'd be like, no, you're obsessing over this. You're just going to sit here and do nothing. Most people don't get there <laughs> as Americans. We don't really, um, but there are elite athletes that it becomes an obsession for them. And, you know, even with my children, they, they like to watch shows. And now we're getting into summer and I'm like, oh, Lord, help me navigate the summer and not always be on a device. But even with them, like right now, my girls are watching a show, a particular show that they've already watched and they're watching it again. And even this morning, I thought we're going to have to cut that off for a few days. It's not a bad show. It's a good show. It's Little House on the Prairie, if you want to know. There's only a couple of them that I, we turn off, but most of them are all good, and they've seen all the seasons. But so for anything, your flesh can just get consumed with it, and this is where you deny yourself. Your desire is most likely not Little House on the Prairie, and your husband or spouse is not going to have to say, honey, you're watching too much of that. But it might be Sports Center. It might be shopping I, you know I don't know every there's as many people as there are in here there's 200 times more than that desires that you could ha be having that the Lord could speak to you about and say no you need to not do that or hey we need to start doing more of this so we're denying whatever we're lusting after okay deny there means to forget oneself to lose sight of oneself and one's own interest only by pride, the Bible says, comes contention and strife. That's you seeking your own thing. When your children bicker or you have a fight with a friend, it's typically because you are seeking your own interest. When my kids bicker, it's because they want what they want and they don't want to give it to the other one. They're seeking their own interest. It's the same in adults, too. I just don't parent adults. I parent children. But our flesh is the same as theirs. So when we're not supposed to do that, the, the uh, Corinthians 13 love chapter, love puts other people first. The God kind of love does, right? When we're loving people with the God kind of love, we're preferring someone over ourselves. And that is counterculture to what today's society would have for us to do. We don't, the society as a whole does not teach you to think about anyone else. Society as a whole teaches you to undercut, cheapen, disrespect, do whatever is necessary to take care of you. And oftentimes, even in the Christian world, we can get caught up with how good it looks. So even our doing good and taking care of other people is with ulterior motives to make ourselves look good, to brag about it on social media or to say, you know, I gave this many shoes to so-and-so, or I'm the head of this orphanage, and I, I did this, 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 and this. Well, all of those things are great, but what is your motive behind doing those? Is it really to deny yourself, or is it really just to boost you up? Because a lot of people, everything is to how they can get to the next level is about them. And those things are not bad. Growing a business, growing yourself, higher education, all not bad. God always looks at our heart. Amen. He's always looking at our heart. 
disown means to refuse to acknowledge or maintain any connection with. You know, Pastor Brett, I, I don't, he said it a lot, but our life is not our own. We have been bought with a price. You do not belong to you. Everything you have is the Lord's. The air that you breathe is his. The bed you sleep on is his. The house he allows you to have is his. He could snatch it away with a blink of an eye. And one day it all will, right? Um, we'll be snatched away with a blink of an eye. So our life is not our own. We're not supposed to maintain any connection with. That's where Pastor talks about Jesus, the dream killer. Our dreams have to be lined up with him. Our dreams have to be lined up with him. I love when Miss Kylie uh, shared on that Sunday night. I just think how beautiful, and it was her. It was all internal with her, but now we get to share in it because she shared it with us. But she laid that guitar down for the Lord and said, like Jesus, not my will but yours. Whatever you want for my life is what I'm going to give you. Pastor wanted to be a missionary to wherever. Thank God we're not living in a dung hut. You know, I praise God that's not my life. I like hardwood floors and our cheap carpet that's on there, but whatever, you know, it's better than dung. But to be able to say, Lord, this, you can have it, right? This means nothing in comparison to you. I deny my flesh. I deny myself. This is my desire. This is my dream. And to be able to truly lay it down and then let the Lord do with it whatever he wants. That's what we are called to do. How many Christians do you know live that way? You might know a ton. Hopefully all of you live that way. But if you look at yourself and think, Lord, do I live that way? Or do I live my way or my life thinking about me? You know, I read um, Proverbs, or it was a Psalm, maybe it's Psalm 61. I'm going to butcher it right now, but just bear with me. I love the Passion Translation. Dr. Jacobs actually blessed me with that. I just love him. He's so, what I love about him, he's so thankful. I'm digressing again. But anyway, I love that translation. And the psalmist says in there, like, when I wake, the songs of my thanksgiving and love for you will be the lyrics that flow from my heart. Something to that effect. I was like, how beautiful is that? How beautiful. My heart truthfully does not think that first thing every morning when I wake up. But I want that to be what my heart thinks every morning when I wake up. And I'm endeavoring to get there. I am thankful. I'm thankful I have a back porch to sit and read my Bible on, you know? I, that is putting our focus on him. What you want for my day, I have a plan. I have a plan for my kids. I have a plan for dinner most days. Sometimes they say, what's for dinner? I said, it's a surprise for everyone. <laughs> but what God's plan is what is the most important, not what I want or what I want to pursue that day, but what does he want so step three, so Mark eight thirty four. that's what we're looking at. Whosoever will come after me, whosoever wants to, let him deny himself, and now we're going to take up our cross. Take up your cross, all right? In, in Roman times, that meant death. And, uh, you know, I was, I was thinking about it. That's a cruel and humiliating death. Cruel and humiliating. A criminal was seen by everyone as he or she, I guess, marched, to where they would hang the cross. He or she had to be seen by everyone while they were nailed to that thing. Can you imagine that? Like, these are real people. This really happened to Jesus. This isn't pretend. So I try to think, like, 
everybody is watching you and he's innocent the lord jesus is innocent and probably others were as well but he was innocent and everybody is watching him and then everybody watches you hang on that cross and suffer natural instincts when you stub your toe what do you do you grab it and you curl up you know abigail had a broken arm a time or two when it was broken she didn't even want mr nate to look at it you know she wants to this is the reaction this is the natural reaction is inward to cover to protect but this death was laid open laid open for the world to see laid open for i mean can you i can't imagine having spikes driven through any part of my body in the first place let alone everybody that's assembled is watching that like that's that's what we're called to do is to take up our cross like we are marching to our death because truly we are supposed to put ourselves down every day that we might exalt the lord to live for him right that's page one. So when we're hurting, our natural tendencies to curl up, whether physical or emotional. When you have emotional hurt, that's, that can be how people lead to depression because they want to turn inward. You're hurting and you just all your thoughts want to coil onto the inside rather than being wide open. But that's how we're called to live. Wide open is the only way that fixes anything. Wide open is the only way that glorifies God. Why, you know, when you live for Jesus, when you're a follower of him and you're living open and clean and without reproach, you have nothing to hide. And it isn't easy. I mean, it isn't difficult because you have nothing to hide. Um, the world will see you live for Jesus and they'll, some will want to mock you for it. And these days, if you stand for truth, you're a hater automatically. No, I just love truth. I'm a lover. I'm a lover of truth. I'm not a hater. I do hate sin, but I love truth. I am a lover. I love truth. What you're speaking is not truth. I don't love that. It doesn't make me a hater. I just don't love that. It's not truth. So we're marching daily. We're supposed to put ourselves down that the Lord might be glorified. Um, like I said, it wasn't easy for criminals to carry their cross. Certainly not Jesus. Being mindful, he was filleted open, basically, before that, that we might have healing in our bodies today. So he's carrying that. Plus, it's heavy. Plus, they don't care that it hurts or that it's awkward for you. Um, they don't care. Somewhere along the way, I feel like we, like the collective we, maybe just American we, because that's really all I know, but we felt like if we got born again, it was an easy button for the rest of our life, or we had won the lottery, or now we have Santa Claus in our pocket, and Jesus, all of a sudden, everything's just going to be better. But no, you're going to go home to the same house, same bank account, same family, same issues, same whatever, not to belittle the work of the Lord Jesus in our life. He does create us brand new. We're brand new, never before been creatures when we receive him as our Lord and Savior. But it's still a walk of faith. And we do, the end of that faith, it is victory. And we do have the answers, and we do have hope, and we do have promise, and we do have a promise of victory if we do it his way. But has anybody had anything bad happen to them since they became a Christian? Yes. Have you had to believe God through a scary situation? Yes. Have you had difficulty come or trauma even come? Yes. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. 
bad things just don't go away, but we do have a promise of victory through those bad things. Amen? But the easy button is not there. It's still a walk of faith. We're running a race. You guys know I like to run. Running can be difficult. Running a race can be difficult. You're pushing yourself beyond limits that you think are possible. I got to brag on my absie. I had, she ran the um, turkey trot at Thanksgiving, and I ran it with her. So that's three miles. So you ran a 5K, and she got third in her age group. But, you know, more than once she said, Mommy, I need to walk. I said, no, you don't. Keep running. Because I know she can do it. Running can be difficult when you push yourself. We're not called to easy. There is no easy button. We are called to push forward. Taking up your cross is not necessarily easy. You know, when she got done with that race, she just laid down on the concrete, just like you would see in the movies. But she got a little, her little medal was a mug, a little coffee mug or soup mug, whatever. Um, So we don't win the lottery necessarily when we become a Christian. But you have eternal salvation. You have eternal hope. You have eternal promise. So hopefully I didn't make that. It's hard, right? Life has hard times in it. Life has hard times. It's not just going to be easy. That's the point I want to make there. Those criminals carrying that, it was difficult for them. It was hard for them. It was humiliating and embarrassing. And people hated Jesus. They hated the truth that he stood for. They hated that he might get all of their glory, right? All the leaders didn't want him to turn their country upside down. And they're not going to love us because we come against the sin that they want to hold on to at times. So you're going to be hated as well. Step four is follow me. The Passion Translation there says, continually surrender to my ways. Being born again is not a, you're not a follower of Jesus if you prayed a prayer of salvation and did nothing else. You're not a follower of Jesus. I truly, truly question the salvation of of individuals like that, and I'm related to some of them. Uh, I've prayed with family members more than once to be born again, and yet there's still no fruit. There's still no commitment. They live how they want to, do what they want to. I got a big I don't know for that. It doesn't seem like you got oil in your lamp to me. You know, if you think about the ten virgins. So continually surrender to my ways. This is not a one-time prayer. You do not follow Jesus by praying a prayer and then keep doing the same thing you were doing. It's an everyday, every minute of everyday event. You're surrendering your life to him. It's not doing what you want and asking God to bless it. This is Sunday morning, you all are here on Sunday morning. It's not just Sunday morning. Right? If you're called to a house of God, and you should be, you should be committed there. Every day, putting the Lord first, seeking him, and not doing what we want to do. Doing what he wants us to do. How do we know what he wants us to do? How do we know? We read our Bible and pray every day. Grow, grow, grow. Right? We read our Bible. So let's, um, I wanted to touch on, Uh, we have to pray, read our Bible, and go to church. We need ministry gifts also to perfect us, so you've got to be in the house of God. You've got to be faithful to a house of God. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers were given for the perfecting of the saints. Don't you want to be right before the Lord? I do, and that comes through these ministry gifts. The last one there is pastors. 
I just wanted to touch on that briefly to just exhort you that you have a great pastor, not just because I'm married to him, but you have a great pastor that loves you, that cares for you, that prays for you. I pray everybody that goes to church can say that, but I think if you go to a church and your pastor doesn't know your name, do you have a pastor? You go listen to a preacher, and you maybe go listen to a pastor, but is he your pastor? Let's say he does know your name. Do you let him touch anything in your life? You know, do you let him correct you? Do you receive the word of God from the pulpit that steps on your toes? Listen, guys, if it's in the Bible, why do you scoff? If it's in the Bible, it might hurt because you know what? Sometimes truth does hurt because it's like a slap in the face. like, man, I'm an idiot. I really am an idiot. But, you know, you do the things you do because you think they're right. But if someone blatantly says, hey, I don't think that's right. Or, hey, did you consider these verses? And you're like, nah, I'm just going to keep doing that. Being like, you really are an idiot. But <laughs> sometimes you're like, man, how did I not know that? You know, like, I don't beat my kids up because they don't know how to drive a car. It's not time for them to know that. So we just have to trust that when the Lord gives us something through the pastor, through the word, through our Bible study, you're like, and that's been there all along. I've read that verse a hundred times. Now it's time for you to deal with it, right? Now it's time for you to clean your room. Now it's time for you to be responsible with your own laundry. Whatever the next step is for your children, they get new assignments. We're growing in the Lord, so we should be that kid that wants to devour everything that God's been giving us now, how many are still doing something God, don't raise your hand, still doing God something ministered to you to do three months ago, six months ago, a year ago? What are we still struggling to get the victory over? Because we have the answer right here. Amen? We got to just lay the ax to the root and say, I'm doing it. No more thinking about it. I'm not going to be back in step one desiring to have the victory over this thing. I desire to have the victory over whatever. I'm going to get the victory over it by the power of the Holy Ghost. He's going to anoint me and help me and convict me, and I'm going to do it. Amen? All right, so we're continually surrendering to the ways of the Lord. We're trusting our pastor. We're receiving from the men of God or women of God that come from the pulpit so that we can grow and know what we're supposed to surrender to. I want to throw one little whosoever will not in there verse for you just to have that before we move on. Ezra 7.26 says, whosoever will not, we don't want to be a will not, will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king. Let judgment be executed speedily upon him, whether it be death or to banishment or confiscation of goods or imprisonment. Whosoever will not is not going to go well. Amen. So that is not, that's that, whosoever will not there, do the law of thy God. It doesn't even say that they have to know it. It just says they're not doing it. We have to teach the word of God to our children. We have to consume them with the word of God so that they know, right? You have a Bible study at your office. Share with a coworker who's struggling through something so that they can know what the word of God says and do it and not reap those knots in that verse. Amen. So I just want to ask you guys real quickly here. Everybody would raise their hand and say, I will, right? Whosoever will, 
I'll do all that. I'll do all four of those steps. I'll desire it, right? I'll deny myself. I'll put other people first. I'll put the Lord's ways first. I'll take up my cross. I'll do the hard things. Like Ben shared that one time. I love it. I'm going to pick the harder option just to put my flesh under and do the hard things and get good at doing hard things. And I'm going to follow the Lord. I'm going to continually submit my ways to him. Everybody would raise their hand, most likely, and say, yes, because you're in church, and I think you want to please the Lord. That's why you came to church. But what is the point at which you will say, no, this is too much? Is there a point for you where you will say, no, this is too much? So being a follower of Jesus does not just punch a Sunday morning card. We live in the Bible Belt, and it's culture to go to church on Sunday morning. You know, you met our friends, the Cretunuses. Their church looks totally different than ours. They live in a totally different place. It's not culture to go to church on Sunday morning. It's not culture to dress up. Here, that this kind of common, kind of. There are many people that don't dress up also, but anyway, I digress. It doesn't matter. The culture here is what I'm trying to say is go to church. So you have to make sure you're not just following culture because culture does not save you. A relationship with the Lord Jesus is what saves you. So being a follower of Jesus is a lifestyle. It's every day. So I'm just going to ask you about five little things here, okay? At what point do you say this is too much, okay? The first one I want to ask you about is your time. Your time, okay? Are you committed to the house of God? Or do you make excuses for not being faithful? Are you committed to prayer and Bible study on a regular basis? Pastor said, I think on Wednesday, if you're not in your Bible out of every day, you're out of the will of God. I'm pretty sure that's what he said. I was in the back, but I'm pretty sure I heard that. So our time. <laughs> I thought to myself, I'm going to close my eyes. Some of you that skip church, not because you have a business trip, not because the baby's at home with a fever, what do you do? I'm going to look at Danielle because she doesn't. What do you do when you skip church? You are a Christian. What are you doing? I, I, like, I don't know the answer to that question. What do you do? You have heard testimonies of preachers that have come through here. Like, when you get born again, you like, I wanted to be around God's people. I wanted to be in God's house. I went to an Assemblies of God church. I signed up for extra classes so I could go to more church. I don't understand the allergy to the house of God if you call yourself a Christian. I, re I just, okay. I'm, but I, I think you should ask yourself, what is my deal? Why can't I, this, what is my deal? If I'm an adult and I have a car and I have a job and I have gas, I don't think any of you rode a bicycle today. Did anybody ride a bike to church? No? Okay, everybody has a car, some gas. Your car knows how to get back here tonight and Wednesday and Friday night for prayer. Just ask you. I really, I, I'm, I am joking light, to make it lighthearted, but really, like, church attendance should be easy. It should be something that 
is so set that you're stirring yourself up to make sure you're coming excited, you're coming expecting, you're coming like that new believer, like the word of God is coming today, and the Bible says the word of God is life to those that find it and health to all their flesh. I'm going to the house of God to give me some life today. I need some life in several areas, and I'm going to receive some. But no, I'm just, I'm going to stay home and do checkers. I don't know. Crease my couch a little bit. I, I don't know. Anyway, you do need to figure, I'm at, what's too much? If coming to the house of God is your point of too much or your time to get up and read your Bible every day, we teach our children we read our Bible every day. As Christians, these should be normal things for us. If we find ourselves here, and I'm being as serious as I can to be right here, I think you need to rededicate your heart to the Lord. I don't mean that jokingly. I do mean that seriously, and I have been joking, but really it should be easy for us to be committed. To, we are not going to hell, folks. You're not going to hell. And you have promise of victory, and you have promise of a future. All right, so your hobbies. That's my number one thing, or number two thing I want to ask you about. Can you lay down any hobby in your life right now? Do you have lots of hobbies? If you're a person of lots of hobbies, God will probably touch a few of them. It's like, what do I have that's hobbies? I raise children and I run. I think I love running because it's one of the one things I get to do by myself. <laughs> when you have kids, you don't even go to the bathroom by yourself, right? But your hobbies, can you lay it down? Can God have your bass boat if that's your thing? Could he have it? Could he have your drum set if that's your thing? You love music and your dream is to play music for the Lord. Can you lay that down? That's your dream. Is that the dream he gave you? I tell my children regularly, they want to be this, want to be that. You're going to be what God says for you to be. And that's going to be the best place for you to be. And that's where you're going to be the most blessed and anointed and have the wisdom of God and the help from God. You know, what is shopping your thing? Uh, can he have your sport if sports is your thing? Can he have your activity? What God wants is your heart and your willingness to say yes to him above all of these other things. You know, what if God touches the books you read? Well, reading is great. What if God touches those books? What if God says, I don't need you doing this anymore? You know, Pastor has shared countless testimonies of things that he has loved, Japanese stuff, Japan, movies, martial arts, and God has, one at a time, just done this and said, no, what if he hung on to that? You know, so for us, what, is there anything in our life that you're willing to say, yes, Lord, you can have all of these things, but this? You know, as a mom, I think for me, we pray that our children marry the right person at the right time, that we have a hand in our in-laws' discipleship, that my daughters marry men that will lead them in paths of righteousness, that my son marries a handmaiden of the Lord that will help him fulfill the call of God on his life. And I pray that they serve us in the ministry. That's my prayer. Why can't I claim that? God has not spoken to me otherwise. But he could say, these daughters are called somewhere else. You know, can he have that? Yeah, he can have what he wants. Amen? Because my daughters will be the most safe wherever they are. You think of Pastor Brett and Miss Bobby. Miss Bobby's mom had to be okay with Uganda and grandbabies going to Uganda. Listen, 
those kids are so blessed because they're in the will of God. You know, Miss Hannah served for a season uh, in another country as a single woman. Miss Susan had to be like, okay, Lord, I trust you. We, this feels good. This is what you want for this season of her life. Here we go. Can God have whatever he wants in your life? Can he have it? If he asks for um, this, the jar of money you have stashed for an offering for a missionary, can he have it? Your coins that you're collecting to save for, you know, sometimes people have a coin jar and they're going to save it for something fun or whatever. Can he have that? Can he have your vacation if something comes up and he says, I need this? Can he have whatever he wants in your life? Can he have your hobbies? So that's my point number two. What about your friends or your relationships? Can he have those? Can he have them? All right. The, Bi- the Bible says bad, con- bad company corrupts good morals. How can two walk together if they're not in agreement? Can God have your friends? Remember, as we grow, the Lord speaks other things to us. There may be friendships that are allowed for a season. You know, my girls did gymnastics for a season. That was permitted for a season. And then the Lord said, no. And that's a sport. But if it's a friendship, can you say no when God says no? You know, I, I love my single people here. I love you all. Pastor and I pray for you, for the men to be able to find their spouse and for the eyes to be open, for men to find the ladies. We pray for you because I know your hearts are to be married. But I tell you, if God touches something and you're thinking that's it, but God says no, please let him have that. Please let him have that. You don't want to be Abraham, I mean, uh, yeah, Sarah, trying to make her own thing work. You don't want to make your own thing work with your marriage. You want it to be God's way and only God's way. Because it takes work either way. You just need God's anointing on it and God's help in it to be God's best. Amen. So I want to just encourage you, let him have a say in your courtship and your relationships. Do not forsake the best for something rushed. God knows where you are. I'm going to read what I wrote down because I want you to see, hear it. Because I believe you are not too old. God has not forgotten you. He knows right where you are. Do not forsake the best for something rushed. Remember Abraham and Sarah. She tried to do it her way and ended up creating Ishmael. God's way and God's timing is best. So that's for our single people. God knows where you're at. He knows you want a spouse. He knows you want a family. Keep serving him and mastering today, which we've touched several times, what he has for you today. Work on you and God will bring the the spouse to you or let you find her. So can God touch your friendships? Can he touch your relationships? Your family is the next one. You know, the Bible exhorts in, in Luke chapter 14 where he's talking about who can be his disciple, and he exhorts and says, you're going to come to me. You've got to hate your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. And in that regard, he means you have to love me more. You have to love God more than any children you sire, than any mom, than any grandma, any grandparent. How can two walk together unless they're in agreement? So if a family member is not in agreement, can God have that? If God says, I need you to move away, 
I need you to cut ties. I need you to take no more phone calls. Can he have that? You know, I never thought that I would live away from my mom ever, ever, ever. I just thought she was kind of like the one constant thing in my life. Like, she wasn't perfect. Um, I love her. I forgive her. She did the best she knew to do with what she had when she had. She loves God now and lives for him. But I never thought I would live away from her. And God spoke to me very supernaturally to move to Cookville to sit under Pastor Vaughn. And I, I was like, whoa, that's left field. I mean, like I said, I didn't really have aspirations. I did. I, I had some, anyway, I didn't really have a plan for my life necessarily, but I definitely didn't have a plan for Tennessee. I didn't even know Cookville was a thing. I did then because I had been listening to Pastor Vaughn cassette tapes in my car. I'm really not that old, but I did have a cassette player in my car. And I had been listening to Pastor Vaughn cassette tapes and I just did that, and that has unfolded my whole life. But if I just said, no, I need to be by my mom, that's like five and a half hours away, how is that going to work, what's that going to look like, all by myself, the one solid thing that I had that was always there, now I'm being asked to be not there, you know, can God have that from you? Can he have that from you? Whatever that looks like in your life, can he have that relationship? Can he have that family member, that friendship? Those kind of go together there. And then my last one I want to ask you about is your comfort. Can he have your comfort? Because we will not grow or move beyond where we are now without being uncomfortable. Right? I can't grow in the things of God if I don't master where I'm at and big, big builder, build bigger muscles. You know, if I'm a weightlifter and I want to push press, if I want to push press 50 pounds, maybe I can't do that right now. Maybe I have to start with 40 pounds. And maybe I have to do that five times more than I actually think that I can before I can build the muscle to get to the 50 pounds. If I want to get faster at running, I am going to have to push myself and do interval training and different things or build my muscles in my legs so that my speed can get faster. And I'm going to have to do those things more than I think that I can. Like with Abigail, mommy, I think I need to walk. No, you don't. You got this, right? As adults, we have the option to say, no, thank you. I don't like discomfort. I don't either. No, no, I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like to do things I don't like to do. Nobody does. Like I said, the first time that I was supposed to be here, throw up, cry, run away. I want to do all of those things. But we don't grow. Can you imagine if I was still the same person when we first, I don't even know how far that was into pastoring. I don't know. A couple years into pastoring, he gives me that opportunity, and God says, it's time for this step. And I say no, and I don't do it. Can you imagine how defective I would be for my husband today? And what about things in our life? If God is saying, I need you to stretch and grow, I need you to share your faith more, I need you to talk to that coworker. Like I said, endless possibilities there. But we will not grow in the things of God if we only do what is comfortable for us to do. And so that means this never turns off. We never get to a place where we have arrived. We're never going to get to let up on the throttle. We're never going to get to pull back on the gas pedal. 
we constantly have to keep the pressure moving forward to grow in the things of God. Otherwise, especially the day that we live in, we'll just be flowing on down the stream backwards, right? We cannot let off the gas. So you can stay the same if you want to, but I don't know that that qualifies you for being a disciple. We have to stretch and believe for more, stretch and trust for more, stretch and forgive to a greater degree. On this earth, we will never arrive. We will not get to a point where we no longer are required to change and be different because God is always going to be dealing with us. You know, the verse that says, the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? The day the rapture happens, that verse will still say, the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? So we're constantly having to deal with ourselves. All right, I want to give you two things real quick, and I will be quick, that you will have to overcome to be a disciple. Two things you have to overcome. The first thing is your thinking, okay? You can mark this down, Mark 7, 13, that whole passage there. But it says, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. Verse 8 in that same passage says, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men. So the way you think can cause the word of God to not work in your life. If you're holding on to what mama taught you, if you're holding on to what your culture has taught you, what everyone else says is good, who's everyone else anyway? Who is everyone else anyway? They said, who is they? They said this should be this way. Who's they? What do they know? What's their track record? What does their marriage look like? Are their kids respectful? Or what you think is right because you're self-made and you figured it out on your own and it seems to be going okay for you. Sometimes just by sheer determination, you know, I think and I was in this boat to just expose myself, there were ways I didn't want to be, 100% didn't want to be, and I wasn't going to be. I had seen it and I didn't like it and I was going to have no part of it. So by default, I kind of figured out some things that were better than that. But that doesn't mean that those things that I figured out were in line with God's word. Proverbs says over and over and over again, and it's a very humbling scripture to me. I probably share it every time I stand up here. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Our thinking is not always right, but we do it because we think it's right, but we have to hold it loose enough to know if, like I said before, if it comes from the word, why would we scoff at it? Just because I figured it out and it's worked for the past 10 years, it got me through college, you know, it got me to this point doesn't mean it's right. If the Word of God says differently, we have to say, ouch, I was an idiot. I'm going to do the Word of God. Amen? So we have to change our thinking. I would, I would read those verses again. Um, but this is what causes, honestly, some people to leave a good church or to not plant in a church to begin with or to reject a friend because sometimes, like we said, truth can hurt because it's not what we're doing already, or we think we know something, or our pride gets in the way and we can't receive it because you're telling me I'm wrong? Yes, I'm telling you you're wrong. But being wrong is not the end all. It's not the end of the world to be wrong. Praise God someone can show me and I can quit being wrong, and now I can do it right. <laughs> so I heard a story, I'll keep it general. Someone visited a church, a really great church, 
they loved the church. They loved what their kids got from the church. They loved that their kids came out with Bible stories and some knowledge of Scripture and God, and they loved that. But the pastor said something that was sharp that they didn't like. Okay. Can you tell me what the pastor ministered for the rest of the service? No, probably not. Where have you been going to church for the last two years? Oh, nowhere? Oh. So this sharp thing was like, we have to love God's people. That was kind of like their, their counter. We have to love God's people. And I think, really? Telling them the truth isn't loving them? Telling them the truth isn't loving them. What about who are you loving by not being planted in a house of God somewhere? Who are you loving by keeping you and your family and all that God's gifted you with away from the body of Christ that you're called to? So this, this is a, the way we think can really mess us up because we think it because we think it's right. But we have to be willing to be changed in our thinking by the word of God. And that leads me to the second point. We have to know our Bibles. Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Destroyed. My example earlier today, this little girl who has a family that is very forward-thinking, if I can say it that way, is being taught that that is normal. That is what is being taught as normal there, where I tell my children, they know I'm a boy, I'm a girl, I'm going to marry a girl, I'm going to marry a boy. I stand to pee, I sit to pee. They know these things, and we teach them what truth looks like. But we are really hurt when we don't know what the Bible says. You think of just even the area of healing. Lots of saints believe God puts healing on them to teach them something. They believe that. That is from him to teach them a lesson. And I, they still love God, and they still want to serve him, and that just baffles me. But we, they will miss out on the faith verses, the victory, the promises that are gifted to them through the scripture. Like we said, Jesus was beaten beyond the recognition of a man for our healing. His back was filleted wide open, wide open for our healing. That price has been paid. God is not giving us sickness. He gave us the ticket for healing. He paid the price already. But we, we're destroyed when we don't know the Bible when we don't know what is in there. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We have to know what's in our Bible. We've got to study it. We've got to devour it. We've got to pray ourselves hungrier for it. We've got to teach it to our children. It blesses me beyond measure at praise and worship because to my left there's these little children. It is normal to them to lift their hands and be at the altar and worship the Lord. That's the gift you're giving your kids. Amen. And we as parents have to keep growing and learning our word and knowing what's in there. So when the enemy does attack, because we know that he does, we have the answers. We have the know-how to get out of that situation. So the two things we have to overcome to be a disciple, the two things that will help us with our time, what to do with it, with our hobbies, if we're allowed to do them or if we need to give them up with our friends and our family. 
if this situation is hurtful for me, the scriptures are going to point that out. So knowing our Bible is going to help us with that. And sacrificing our comfort is changing the way we think. What are we supposed to think? What the Bible says. How do I know what the Bible says? I have to know my Bible. So we have to be able to let go of the way we think, unless we're thinking black and white scripture, right? If you're thinking what the Bible says, then you don't let go of that for nothing, anything. Maybe that's the proper, you don't let go of that for anything. But everything else, I'll share a little example with you, and then we'll close. But I said our girls are watching Little House on the Prairie. So this is a Little House on the Prairie example. There was an example in there where some lady had come to town and was like teaching the women. Basically, it was like a women's rights kind of assurance in, you know, where like they were trying to say when you got married, what was the woman's needed to stay with the woman's with the women and kind of just this kind of bizarre thinking. So this the, the show was funny and my girls were laughing out loud because the dads were all burning the food and trying to because the women all went and lived in a hotel the motel or whatever it is called the inn at Harriet's little thing so they all just stayed up there and did their thing and let the men do all the womenly things in their absence with the children and the cooking and all of that stuff but the the heart of it was you get to stay a woman and have your things and what was yours belongs to you and you still da 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 and this lady had come to town and was like rustling all these women up you know and the men were like, what? We don't agree with that. And so I asked my daughter, I said, well, what do you think? Do you think the men were right or do you think the women were right? And she was like, she was afraid. She said, I don't want to give you the wrong answer. I said, well, there's no wrong answer. And if there is, I'll tell you which one's right. You're not in trouble if you give me the wrong answer. And I said, okay, well, I'll let you stop there. If you don't know which one is right and you're afraid to give me the wrong answer, how can you know what the right answer is? Your Bible. And I was so thankful for that opportunity. We teach them scriptures, but I was thankful that she could see, oh, here's an opportunity to see where that really fits real life. Like, if I don't know, I go to my Bible. And what does the Bible say? That a man and a woman become one. Their things become one. Their house becomes one. Their checking account becomes one. It all becomes one. You don't lose who you are as a woman, but you do become one. And so I was just able to let her see, oh, I don't, she didn't want to do what was wrong because she wants to be right. How do we know what's right? We look at our Bible. So I'll leave you with that. Whosoever will. Hopefully you will say yes, and hopefully you will work on our thinking and knowing our Bibles so that we can endure to the end and we can be the one that will make it all the way, take up our cross, continually committing ourselves to the Lord. Amen.